if you're a friend of the show, you are aware that I uh, put a podcast out every morning. And it goes live, hopefully, by 9 o'clock. And I do it that way because I want to have the latest news, everything that's been printed or published up until now when I start. And then I kind of enjoy throughout the day listening to the more popular, more profitable podcasts and programs that agree with me and my assessment of what the most important stories are, what people are interested in learning about. Unless I totally screw the pooch and forget to post my podcast. And then I listen to those same programs and I think, damn it. Everybody's going to think when they listen to this podcast with their dinner instead of their breakfast. That I just ripped off the content from another program. And I sit here before you now. <laughs> and I tell you, no, that's not true. I am, I am self-conscious about the suggestion that I may be harvesting content from other programs. But the only time I've done that is with an interview or a press release a press conference, like, for example, um, the audio clip that I pulled of the DA in San Francisco uh, regurgitating the approved propaganda regarding the Paul Pelosi incident. But the fact is, I'm a one-man uh, one operation here. One, one person, one they. I'm a one-they operation here, and sometimes I forget to do things. You ever forget? Happened to me. <laughs> I don't know. Who is that? That's a reference from some comedian. Carrington? Rodney Carrington? Remember that guy? He was a country western comic that was a sensation and then as fast as he exploded onto the scene, he disappeared. Kind of like that uh, Frank Caliendo. The guy that could do the uh, the great, you know, he did a great John Madden impersonation. He did a great Schwarzenegger. But once I record this podcast, I must render it into a format that is publishable, which takes some time. And if I then forget to return to my workstation here and publish it, once I leave for work, the window is closed, and you must wait until I get home. And so I spend most of the day feeling like a total failure, and I apologize. I do sometimes consider doing my show in the evening when I'm a little bit more awake, my brain is a little bit more stimulated. Generally, I wake up without the aid of an alarm between 
5 and 5.30 a.m. And I start building the podcast. Actually, I start working on this podcast the day before. Putting together thoughts and opinions. Because sometimes it feels like each show is more difficult to create than the last. Especially because sometimes the news cycle doesn't move very quickly. It all depends on on what's going on. There was another mass shooting in Colorado. It's been, I wouldn't say suspiciously absent from the news cycle, but uh, sort of a sidebar issue. I mean, 30 people got shot. Five of them are dead. And it's, oddly enough, I mean, it's, it's the same. This is the thing that makes, people suspicious of all these mass casualty events. This is why so many people like Alex Jones, for example, glom on to the conspiracy theory that, oh, it was a false flag. It didn't really happen. Nobody was killed, etc. You know, all the conspiracy theory tropes get rolled out. Because in this, in this situation, like so many of the past situations, this person had a criminal history. He threatened to blow up his mom's house with a bomb, and he was charged with kidnapping and attempted murder and all of these other things, but the Colorado district attorney, who was a Republican, didn't press any charges. So there was nothing on his record to prevent him from buying the gun that he used to kill five people and injure 25. So is it only receiving light media coverage because of the incompetence again of our law enforcement and FBI that are supposed to prevent these things from happening. They're supposed to be keeping us safe and see, that's the thing we, we have this constitution, right? It's our governing document, our a bill of rights. It's the guidelines that the government is supposed to adhere to while they operate our country. And all they have to do is accomplish their mandates without violating these guidelines. So they fail in their charge to keep us safe, among other things. And then they go, oh, well, we really need to change those guidelines. What would you do if you were a business owner or manager and your employee said something like that to you? Would you still employ them? I mean, how many mass casualty events have we seen where the FBI comes around again later and says, oh, yeah, he was uh, he was on our right, our radar. We were aware of him. But we let him run free and now he killed a bunch of people. And injured a bunch more. It sounds like incompetence to me. I mean, if an incompetent employee comes to you and says, hey, we need to uh, change these policies to help my incompetence. How would you respond to that? You're like, oh, really? That's been the whole thing? That's been the problem this whole time? Wow. I guess we really should violate this core policy of our company to accommodate your incompetence? 
I mean, who's who's going along with that? Really? I mean, because no time was wasted. The news of this shooting came out, and of course, like clockwork, the first thing coming from the camp on the left was, oh, we need we need better gun control. Okay. So it's I guess it's no wonder that no one is really interested in covering the latest mass shooting. But I can't help but wonder why no charges were pressed against this individual. I mean, I guess he's a relatively young person. I could see some benevolence from a judge or a DA not wanting to press charges that would ruin his life. But how do the parents of the victims, how do their families feel about that today? And what do you think? Are you in favor of red flag laws? Do you think this, a a, a person that does this kind of thing should have no marks against them and and should be able to walk into a sporting goods store and buy an AR-15? I'm sure there were circumstances to that led to the decision not to press charges. And unfortunately, these are the consequences of that decision. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Send your emails to therealearthvox at protonmail.com. I'm also auditioning producers co-hosts maybe i'm i'm thinking about doing a weekend trying to do like a weekend interview not i mean not even really an interview just a uh more fun light-hearted profanity-laced <laughs> endeavor to kind of i don't know maybe a podcast roundup um gathering i don't know opinions other other viewpoints, some elect- intellectually stimulating back and forth. So if you would be interested in participating in something like that, drop me a line. Let me know. We'll set it up. I got all the tools. May even uh, set up to stream live, do some video. I'm I'm really procrastinating on putting my. Uh, my video live streaming space back together. It's so much work. So much work rebuilding every, like build, I mean, building a set. I don't know how many of you are aware of how much is involved with lights and backdrops and camera angles and, and the whole nine. It's uh, it's way too much work to, implement into an everyday application. There's no way, not by myself, but that's why, you know, I'm reaching out. I'm looking for helpers and I would appreciate any help that you can give me in terms of, of producing this content. If you see a story or hear a story, send me a link, 
drop me a line. Let me know why you think I should be covering this. I, you know, I've, I've been kind of averse to this whole crypto coin saga. The collapse of these exchanges is, is, is really bizarre. I mean, I expressed last week that I thought it was a big false flag. This Sam Bankman freed. I know, I know, it's Bankman. It's just, it it sets off alarm bells. There's red flags all over, and I, I, I might have figured it out. I was looking into uh, the ownership of these exchanges, you know, the flow of, of real money. And uh, I think this... All, all of this collapse that's going on, it's its not just happening with that FTX company. So FTX was the crypto exchange that that Sam Bankman-Fried guy owned, operated. He was the CEO, you know, big time billionaire, and it just collapsed and, you know, people lost like $2 billion. But more collapses are happening. And uh, this article from the Washington Examiner four hours old should give us a little insight into what exactly is happening, but there's more. Let's read a little bit. The spectacular collapse of the crypto exchange FTX sent ripples throughout the world of finance and what appears to be a reckoning for the future of cryptocurrency. FTX was one of the biggest cryptocurrency platforms in the world and had been vaunted at a massive scale by super powered marketing campaigns featuring the likes of Tom Brady and Steph Curry. Propaganda mouthpieces. This month, that house of cards quickly collapsed, leaving many fearful that more blockchain companies such as FTX rivals Binance and Coinbase and digital currencies will face a loss of confidence and suffer failures. Quote, in a way, it's worse than Bernie Madoff and far worse than Lehman Brothers. David Weisberger, CEO of CoinRoutes, told the Washington Examiner. The value of Bitcoin itself has suffered greatly in just a matter of days. The flagship cryptocurrency tumbled to 15600 on Monday, its lowest level in two years. That represents a 24% loss in value since the start of the month alone. Cryptocurrency giant FTX, facing a sudden loss of faith in its solvency, declared bankruptcy, sending tens of thousands of investors into disarray. The fallout has been enormous because of FTX's size and reach. FTX was valued at $32 billion in a financing round before the collapse this year. It was also the third largest crypto exchange by volume after Binance and Coinbase. Quote, this is sort of the equivalent of a big brokerage firm going under, said David Sacco, a practitioner in residence at the University of New Haven Finance Department. Sacco said that while Bitcoin and many cryptocurrencies have mainly been declining in value over the past year or so, at the same time, trading and holding cryptocurrency on exchanges and platforms such as FTX became more mainstream. Seeing a giant company, well, I, okay, I should add. When you purchase a Bitcoin, you should, by best practice, keep it in a wallet with your own keys, your own passwords, so that you actually have possession of that currency. If you keep it in an exchange, you are vulnerable 
to the decisions, good or bad, from whichever exchange you keep that cryptocurrency on. But the thing about Bitcoin and other digital currency is if you lose your keys to that cryptocurrency, you lose that cryptocurrency. It's scary. Somebody could get a hold of your keys and steal it. And if you own, you know, one Bitcoin at, at, at some point it was, well, you know, what was it? 32,000 could be gone just like that. Scary. So people employ these exchanges. Hey, I want to buy some cryptocurrency, but I'm scared. So you hold on to it for me and I'll just trust you. And this is where things start to get suspicious for me. People buy this crypto and, and one of the uh, more scammy aspects of this FTX organization is that they mined, they mined a bunch of crypto or they bought a bunch of crypto and then they sat on most of it and sold out a small percentage to its exchange members to sort of artificially Im- inflate the price. They kept the, they kept a bunch of of coins off of the market so that the coins that they put on the market would be more valuable. Shady. So I started digging into the flow of money going to these exchanges and uh I came across this article on TechCrunch from October 27th, 2015. Less than a week after selling second market to NASDAQ, Barry Silbert has announced the official launch and first round of funding for Digital Currency Group. Talking on stage to TechCrunch editor John Biggs today at Money 2020, Silbert announced that the company has closed a round from Bain Capital Ventures, Transamerica Ventures, First Mark Capital, MasterCard, and New York Life, among others. For many in that group, DCG will be the first investment they have made in the digital currency and blockchain space. Silbert stressed, these were all carefully chosen partners who share a long-term perspective on crypto companies. So I dug in. And I found the usual suspects the big banks, the hedge funds that own everything. And I suspect, based on these investors, that this collapse has been orchestrated to create public distrust in cryptocurrencies as they stand today. Because there's another push happening to support central bank digital currencies. Basically, Bitcoins that are created by the Federal Reserve. Because if the public has their faith and support behind decentralized digital currencies that can't be tracked, that can't be monitored, that can't be withheld from you with the flick of a switch and a few keystrokes... That keeps the control 
away from the people that want it the most. See, the globalist establishment wants digital currency for you so long as they can have all the power and control to take it away from you if you step out of line. But what you have to understand is that the collapse of these exchanges, while it may hurt the value of cryptocurrency in general, you're safe as long as you own and possess your own coins. So Bitcoin will be able to withstand these establishment orchestrated false flags based on cryptocurrencies. You just have to know what you're doing. And I don't. That's why I haven't invested in crypto. Thank you all very much for hanging out. I appreciate you. Please share the show. I rely on you spreading the word. And I appreciate it. I'll be back. Goodbye.